Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Sue, what a lovely prayer. That was very kind of you. Um, really um, struck also, Sue, by the verse that you shared at the beginning of the service today, Revelation 4, a little apocalyptic insight into God's throne room, which we're going to get into today a little bit. So thank you for setting the scene there. Um, guys, i got a bit of a confession to make. Over the last fortnight, by now I am sick of children's Panadol. And for those of you who don't know, I'll give you a quick update on what the last fortnight has looked like for us. So as a family, um, we had two trips to Westmead Children's Hospital in one day. There you go. That's a bit of a uh, new exciting stamp to put in the parent passport for you. So um, two weekends ago, or two weeks ago now, Monday, George um, in the morning likes to be a little sous chef and help Em out with breakfast. So he's standing on a chair that gets tucked right into the kitchen bench while Em's making porridge or you know, toast or tea or whatever it is, and he kind of just pretends to cook with him. And so while they're doing that, I was sitting on the couch kind of behind this chair, tying my shoes, and I mean, I suppose just not being a very wise parent, I started making monkey noises to George, and he started making monkey noises, and I'm sort of going up and down, he's going up and down. Then he does just one jump, maybe a little bit too big, and goes face first over the back of the chair and puts his arms out and falls straight on his arm onto the ground and he's screaming and wailing and make it like kind of there's there's screaming and then there's kind of a new screaming that you haven't heard before you're like oh this is a new one this isn't normal so try all the usual techniques we try consoling him we try giving him some children's panadol I'm sick of children's panadol um, and then essentially we get to a point it's this point where as a parent you don't want to look like an idiot because you don't want to overreact and take your kid to the hospital when they don't need to be there. But on the other side, you also don't want to underreact and look like an idiot for not taking your kid to the hospital when they were supposed to. It's like an idiot tightrope that we're trying to walk. So we decide we'll take him to the hospital. So we get him in the car, we take him to Westmead. It's early in the morning, so we get in there pretty quick. We see the doctor, and this doctor, he's, you know, flexing his wrist back and forth. He's squeezing the forearm. George is just there, chill as, just not a care in the world. Em and I are feeling like idiots at this point. We're like, I'm sorry, we shouldn't have brought him in. Like, it's really, he's fine. I know I can see he's happy, he's smiling. I'm sorry, I don't know what we're doing. We're just first parents overactive. Go home, tail between our legs, drive all the way home. George goes to sleep, done. Our lady wakes up screaming again, clutching his arm, just in complete agony. It's like, dude, where was this at the hospital? Come on, like, you could have put this on for the doctor, right? So now it's like, oh man, what do we do? He grabs the children's Panadol, the bottle that he usually hates. Usually we need to chase George around with a plastic syringe and like microdose him with children's Panadol just to get the correct dosage into him because he hates it. He gets this bottle and tries to drink it. Like, okay, our kid's not right. So we take him again. This time it's later in the day. It's a much longer wait. We um, are in the waiting room and George is running up and down the corridors of the waiting room, giggling and cackling and like waving to people. And there's like another kid there who's bleeding from his face and his mum's just giving me a death stare, like your kid's fine, what is he doing here? We get an x-ray, we finally get the result, it is broken. It's got one break, one buckle, apparently baby's bones buckle, there you go. I know it sounds weird, but I was kind of relieved at that point to hear it was broken. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Two trips to children's hospital in one day, not all for waste. But I tell you what, 
by the time we got home, got George back into bed, collapsed on the couch, watched half an episode of Great British Bake Off, I was exhausted and I am sick of children's Panadol. I want to call today's sermon, I am sick of children's Panadol, and we'll get there in a little bit. But I tell you what, being a parent can be really stressful sometimes and can be particularly stressful when your kid can't speak because you can't really figure out what's going on and, and you're sort of the person who's supposed to be the mediator between them and the doctor, right? George doesn't know what's wrong with him. He doesn't know where the hospital is. He can't drive. He can't see over the steering wheel. He doesn't know how to communicate with the doctor what's wrong with him. He needs a mediator, an intercessor, a middleman or woman. And you know what? I feel like this is the message that the writer of Hebrews is saying to us today. That sometimes children's Panadol just won't cut it and we need a mediator. Hebrews 9, 11 to 15 says this, But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And here it is, the core verse for today. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. He's the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. See, not unlike my George, we are all children of God who are broken on the inside, but it's not our bones that are broken. It's our very souls that are broken, that are shattered, that are in desperate need of a doctor. Not a human doctor, but a heavenly doctor. Not just a heavenly doctor, but a heavenly God. And the writer of Hebrews, he or she, some suspect it might be Paul's associate Priscilla who wrote it, they, they are reminding us of the high priest. Now, where's the high priest mentioned? Well, in the books of Leviticus is, is kind of the big focus of high priest. Some of that language that they're using in, in that passage there in Hebrews 9 is also pulling off some ideas in Numbers. I don't know about you guys, but Leviticus and Numbers are pretty dry, pretty hard to push through sometimes. We can kind of get lost in all of the details of them, right? But Leviticus itself, I mentioned this in the pastor's desk, has been described by some as a priestly instruction manual. I don't know about you and how many pieces of Ikea furniture you've put together lately, but instruction manuals don't really light my fire. I'm just going to put it out there. But I think that in this difficulty of getting into a book like Leviticus or Numbers, we can miss so much of this stunning imagery that's brought out in the letter to the Hebrews. So we've got two options at this point. You can listen to me drone on for 10 minutes, kind of unpacking these images in Leviticus, or we can watch a short video. I won't take a vote. We'll just watch the video. The book of Leviticus. We know you've been avoiding it because it's weird. So let's fix that. 
Now remember, the story of the Bible began with humans in God's presence, but they were banished because of their rebellion. However, God wants to be in relationship with us, so he chooses one family that he will use to restore the world back into his presence. And so God's presence comes to dwell in a tent right in the middle of Israel. And that's great. But it creates a problem because it's so intense that Moses can't go in and other priests who enter inappropriately, they die. Well, wait, if God's presence is good, how is it all of a sudden dangerous for people? So think of it this way. God's presence is like the sun. It's pure power and goodness. And when something mortal and corruptible gets close to such pure power, it's destroyed. And so the word holiness is used in Leviticus to describe God's pure and powerful presence, which like the sun is both good and dangerous. So the point of Leviticus is to show how corrupt Israelites can live near God's goodness without being destroyed. Now, in the book, there are three ways for how this is all going to work out, and these are going to seem strange to you, but just hang in there with us. The first one is rituals. The second is this idea of the priesthood, and the third is a bunch of purity laws. Now, the book is broken up into seven sections, and each solution is explored in two sections of the book. The rituals are here, the priests are here, and the purity laws go here. Now, the first solution, rituals, involves a lot of animal sacrifices. And so Leviticus begins with detailed instructions for how to make these sacrifices. Some are ways of saying thank you to God, and others are simply ways of saying I'm sorry. And here at the end of the book, there are some more rituals. These are about observing sacred days and festivals. They're all celebrations that retell some part of the story of how God rescued Israel and set them apart from the nations. The second solution to the holiness problem has to do with priests. You see, being directly in God's presence is really dangerous. So he appoints priests as special representatives who can go into his presence on behalf of others. So in this section, we have a story about how the priests are ordained into the priesthood. And then this other section explains the set of higher standards that the priests have to live by because they work so closely to God's presence. The third solution in the book is all about purity laws. And this is by far the hardest thing to understand. For example, in this section, we're really concerned with knowing whether you're clean or unclean. Or another way of saying that is being pure and impure. And here's what we need to know to understand this. When you're in a pure state, you can be near God's presence. When you're in an impure state, you can't. And so it was really important for Israelites to know what state they're in at any given moment. So the first thing we have is a list of pure and impure animals. Yeah, this list of animals is divided up by where they live. So on the land, in the sea, in the air. And the text is just not clear about why certain animals are impure or why touching or eating them makes you impure. What is clear, however, is that avoiding these creatures will set Israel apart and it will remind them that God's own holiness should affect every part of their lives, including what they eat. After the food laws, we get a lot of random rules about things like skin disease, touching dead bodies, what to do with bodily fluids. But they're not random. All of these are things that the Israelites associated with life and death, which are sacred things because God is the author of life. Okay, but simply coming into contact with these things makes you impure? They do, but we have to keep in mind that it's not wrong or sinful to be ritually impure. You just wait a few days, take a bath, offer sacrifice, and you're pure again. What is inappropriate is entering into God's presence when you're in an impure state. Now, there's more purity laws over here in this section. 
Yeah, these focus on Israel's moral behavior. So these are laws about social justice, healthy relationships, having sexual integrity. Living by these laws will make Israel into a morally pure people who can live near God's presence. Those are the three solutions. Now, you've probably noticed that they surround the very center of this book. And it's here that we find a really important ritual called the Day of Atonement. Yeah, so Israel's a big tribe now, and odds are there's a lot of sin happening that goes unnoticed that people are not dealing with. And so one time a year, the priests would take two goats, and one of those goats is killed, and its blood is carried right into God's presence where it symbolically covers or atones for Israel's sin. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Well, the meaning of the sacrifice, it's explained in the next chapter, where God says that the blood of a creature is its life. And so this goat's life is offered as a substitute. It's receiving God's punishment for Israel's sin so that the people don't have to. That leaves the second goat. Yeah, the priest puts his hands on it, and then he confesses all the sins of Israel. It's like he's placing the sins on the goat. And then that goat gets cast out forever into the wilderness. It's called the scapegoat. Yeah, I've heard that word before. Yeah, it's this very powerful image of how God is graciously removing Israel's sin. But let's be honest, sacrifices in general seem so barbaric. We have to remember that in the ancient world, sacrifices were the main way of buying favor from the gods. But the problem was that those same gods, they're unpredictable, they're fickle, you never know if they're going to ignore you or they're going to turn on you. And so it's in this cultural setting that we see Israel's God as totally different. He does get angry about human corruption, but it is never arbitrary and he loves people. So he provides this clear way for Israel to know with confidence that they are forgiven and that despite their corruption, they are safe to live near his presence. And so that makes the book of Leviticus actually a revolutionary statement in its day. So good. See, because the high priest was still imperfect, was still spiritually broken, they needed to perform intricate and costly animal sacrifices. And without being covered by that blood, they were unable to come into the perfect, holy, all-powerful presence of God because it would be like coming into the presence of the very sun and being burnt up. It's pretty heavy, right? But I love, I love, love, love this analogy of God is like the sun, S-U-N. He's also like the sun, S-O-N, but we'll talk about that a bit later. But God is like the S-U-N. He's like the sun because he provides light and warmth and life. But he's also so powerful that in the incorrect state, if we become too close into his presence, we can burn up. This sacrificial blood that we see that came from these animals in Leviticus is almost like a, a holy spiritual sunscreen, right? That the high priests would be covered with metaphorically to be able to go into the presence of God. The high priest was mediating the old covenant and now Jesus is the ultimate high priest who is coming into God's presence sitting at the right hand of the Father in the throne room, that stunning imagery that Sue shared with from Revelation 4 at the beginning. Supernatural beasts bowing down at the altar of the king, at the throne, 
and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the presence that Jesus is stepping into for us now. He's the ultimate middleman. The author of Hebrews is saying this in Hebrews 9.15. He's saying that Jesus is greater than the high priest. And for this reason, Jesus is the mediator of not the old covenant, but a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Without Jesus, we're unable to enter God's presence. He's the mediator and the middleman, but he's so much more than that. See, Hebrews 1 continues to play off this beautiful, beautiful metaphor that God is the Son. And what the writer in Hebrews 1.3 says is if God is the Son, then Jesus the Son is the very rays of that Son. He says, for this reason, oh, sorry, wrong one. He says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. See, when we're out at the beach, you don't go, man, the rays of the sun are hot today. You go, the sun is hot today. The rays of the sun and the sun itself are inseparable. Jesus is the radiance of God, just as the sun's rays are the radiance of that power. And this is the completely in wound nature of the Trinity that the Hebrews writer is trying to show us this morning. And the same raw power that was in the Holy of Holies in the middle of the tabernacle in Leviticus was also dwelling by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living King? See, God isn't just the spotless lamb, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus isn't just the high priest. Jesus is God. This is, this is what the writer of Hebrews is leading towards. And just as Jesus is the perfect mediator for us to the Father, the Holy Spirit is the perfect mediator from the Father to us. And that's why we pray, come, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. Come. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power of mediation that Jesus has from us to the Father is the same power that the Holy Spirit has from the Father to us right now, today, that we can say yes to this morning. Now, you may be thinking, I am not worthy of that. Like, that's, that's too much for me. I'm not ready to be in that sort of relationship with an almighty, all-powerful God. Let me go away, sort out some stuff, get my things in order, and maybe I'll come back next week and be ready for that. Because if I enter God's presence right now, I'm going to burn up. Like, I'm not in the right place for that. Because we're conditioned by a world that has us believe that nothing is for free. <laughs> Free for the first month, but then you pay. Free as long as you, you know, tick this term and this condition. Free, except you've got to give us all your contact details. Free if. We're taught by a world that nothing is free. By the time we were done at the hospital, George had seen two doctors, two nurses. He'd gotten an x-ray. He'd gotten some more children's panel. I am sick of children's panel. And he had gotten a half cast, which you've got to be careful when you say half of a cast. And essentially what had happened was he had gotten such good care throughout this whole day, going to the doctor twice, that by the time it was all done, I'm looking for the desk that I pay. I'm like, where do I pay? 
But obviously there was no desk to pay because Emily and I had already paid in advance. 15 years of taxes, give or take, that we had paid in advance for this care that George was able to receive. And likewise, Jesus has paid in advance for us to come into the complete, holy, pure, powerful presence of God. This is what Jesus has done. God was setting up the contracts for this deal like 3,000 years in advance with Moses in the tabernacle. This is what Hebrews 9, 8 to 9 is saying. He's saying the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been fully disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time. See, God knew before your grandma was a twinkle in your grandma's eye what the price that needed to be paid was for you to be in relationship with him. And he actually had eternity to change his mind, but instead he decided to pay that ultimate price on the cross so that we can be in full relationship with God our Father. So he can be in relationship with his child who is broken, who is hurting, who is lost, and who doesn't just need an earthly doctor, but needs a heavenly God, a heavenly Father. Are you sick of numbing your pains with children's Panadol? When what you really need is to be healed by Jesus, your high priest? Are you sick of being covered with bandages when really all you need is to be covered with the blood of Christ? Are you ready to enter a new covenant which only Jesus can establish, bring you to, and pay for in advance? This core verse, Hebrews 9.15, says, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, DFAK is the Greek word. It's an interesting word because it means covenant. It means testament, the New Testament. That rings a bell. And a new will. DFAK, the same word. Covenant, testament, will. New covenant. Why is that important? Well, because he goes on to say that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. This is will language. And then we go on in Hebrews 9.16. How do we inherit a will? How does anyone inherit a will? Someone needs to die for us to inherit a will. In the case of a will, it's necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died. That's the price that Jesus paid on the cross. Gave up his own life so we can inherit that will. You know, we have this idea of God like we keep on having to do these things so that we're okay with him. And we see this vision in Leviticus of the high priests like foster children to God every year needing to return to the tabernacle and reapply for their status as children of God because the papers weren't fully complete. The new covenant, the new testament, the new will wasn't completed. And Jesus comes in and says, hey, I've already got the adoption papers. They're already written up. All you need to do is sign. Are you ready to enter into the family of God this morning? A family of God that far extends the people in this room, that far extends the people of this earth. It goes beyond this time period that we're in. A family of God, an eternal inheritance that Jesus is offering us this morning. 
Do you want to be adopted into that family this morning? A family that extends far beyond age or race or weight or gender or intelligence or height or your past? Hebrews 10.1 says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. It's crazy, isn't it? We can try and scrap all of our money together for a foretaste of heaven, (laughs) for a momentary foretaste of heaven, whether it's a flat screen TV or tickets to Ed Sheeran or a holiday away. We're trying to foretaste heaven here now. And really, it's just children's Panadol. And Jesus is saying there is something so much better for you than children's Panadol. I don't know about you, but I'm sick of children's Panadol. My heart needs a doctor. My heart needs a healer. My heart needs a king. Not just a visit to the hospital, but an arrival at the throne room that Sue spoke about from Revelation 4, into the presence of the Father. Jesus is the only one who can get us there. There's many ways out of the kingdom of heaven, but there's only one way in, and that's through Jesus. Is this something which you've never tasted this morning? Maybe this is something for you for the first time that you're going, I've, I've never heard this good news. This has never resonated in my heart like it's resonating this morning. This is something that I want to enter into. I want to be a child of God. I want to be inherited into this family. We're going to be worshipping in a second. I'd encourage you to head up the back and get some prayer, sign the adoption papers, get part of God's family. I'm going to call the band to come back up, please. I feel like maybe there's some people who've stepped outside of the kingdom of God for a little bit and need to come back in. There's plenty of ways out. There's only one way back in, and it's through Jesus. Is that something that you want to take hold of this morning? Please, please, don't let this opportunity pass you up. Head up the back and get prayer this morning. Are you ready to come back into the presence of your heavenly Father this morning? Are you ready to accept the free gift that Jesus is offering? Are you ready to accept the eternal Holy Spirit into your heart this morning? There's a lot of ways out of the kingdom of God. There's only one way back into God's family, and that's through Jesus Christ. God, we thank you. We thank you that we no longer have to put up with children's Panadol, numbing our pains, numbing our problems temporarily, only for them to pop back up again. But God, you are the true healer. You are a heavenly doctor. You are a heavenly physician. You are a heavenly father. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place this morning. Move powerfully. Lord, I pray for a spirit of confidence in people this morning to take that step, whether it's into your throne room for the first time or whether it's back in for the second, tenth, twentieth, thousandth time. Lord, I pray against a spirit of judgment this morning, but Lord, that we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and none of us fear condemnation because we are covered something so much greater. God, reveal yourself to us this morning. Holy Spirit, blow afresh in this place. We thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you for Jesus. Let us take hold of that offer this morning. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. 
Be blessed.